Hello friends, welcome to episode 9 of the Shot Tickets podcast where I'm talking with video producer Gio Farino. Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Danny and welcome to episode 9 of the Shot Takers podcast, a show where I talk with professional creatives about how they made a success doing what they love for a living. I hope you're well during these crazy, crazy times, guys. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's an absolute honor to have you listening. Um, I look forward to releasing these episodes every single week and seeing all of the positive words of encouragement and what people have taken away from the episodes even just speaking to people who don't even work as professional creatives and the stuff they're taking away from the episode so it's really really cool and I really appreciate you guys. Today I've got something a little bit different for you and we're taking the show in a little bit of a new direction. For those of you who have listened in the past you'll know that I mostly chat with business owners and entrepreneurs who work in the creative industry you know as photographers or videographers or, or whatever but of course being a business owner is just one option when it comes to working as a professional creative you can also find your path by working for someone else you know working for a larger company working in a team on the show today is a video producer who does just that Gio Farino Gio has worked with some awesome companies in the years creating video content for all kinds of different reasons he's worked on music videos worked for Unilad uh, produced video content all over the world um, and he's got really good inside knowledge of uh, marketing videos and how they work as well and that was a really interesting thing you know those videos you see on like Facebook and all that this is a really exciting conversation for me um, as it's a world I don't know much about and I was interested to see what comparisons Geo would offer Geo offers up a great analysis on what he thinks has led him down this path to success and we talk about some of those key points in his career that led him to where he is now. This was definitely another motivating and eye-opening conversation for me. Geo actually had so many stories that he's already agreed to come back on another episode at some point and chat more and I can't wait to have him on. For now though, I'll leave you with our first chat. Um, Here is Geo. Gio, how are you, man? Um, yeah, I'm really good. Having a good day. Nice and warm, toasty in my office. Uh, yeah, you've got a you've you've got an attic office as well. This is like a going on trend. Everyone I'm speaking to recently has got the old attic office going on. Yeah, I find like it's also it's great to have the space, but the worst bit is being at the top of the house. All the heat just rises, yes. and um, yes. yeah, in the in the middle of our summer heat wave, I was boiling quite literally. Yep. Yeah, I was the same. I was whenever I was trying to like speak to clients, I was like, "Yeah, we can have a meeting, but um, can we please make sure we do it before like eleven o'clock, so that I'm not sweating on a camera." Yeah, um, we can do a meeting, but no Zoom calls, only phone only, um, just because I don't want you to see me sitting in a bucket of ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel, man, I feel your pain. Um, I also like that we're microphone buddies as well. This is we great. are. Like a- I love it. I love it. Shall we do like a little promo for our mics? We've got the Blue Yetis going on. Do we? I don't actually know what mic it is. It's not mine. <laughs> I can confirm it's a Blue Yeti and it's very nice. It's very nice. Um, Blue Yeti should be sponsoring this podcast. Well, there you go. Plug, plug, plug. Um, Gio, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you've just got in from your work, actually. Um, how was your day? 
yeah, it was good. Um, I have literally not left my office, which is my desk that I'm sitting right now with my um, computer and stuff. But um, yeah, it's been a good day. Nice and relatively easy. So, yeah. Oh, nice, dude. Nice, nice. So the reason I was so excited to speak with you, obviously, apart from the fact that you are a lovely gentleman and love to chat with you, um, is that previously on the show um, episodes so far, I've mostly been speaking to, you know, self-employed people and freelancers and those who are kind of running their own businesses, whether that be photography or be filmmaking or something like that. And yeah, what made me really excited um, to speak with you actually is that you can't, you work for other companies. You are an employed creative, which, you know, um, one thing I've said on the Shot Takers podcast before is that there are so many different routes to kind of achieving what you want in, you know, living creatively and thriving as a creative. So I'm so excited to speak with you. I'm so excited to dive into it. Before we get started, buddy, um, I'm going to have to ask you to tell the audience your full name in with the accent so we all know how to say it. Cool. So, yeah, my, uh, I go by Geo because um, it's a lot easier for most people to say, especially on the phone when you're trying to read your name out and trying to get that email address written down because one missed letter here could be a big difference because when someone's trying to write Giordano Di Pino Forino at yes. hotmail.com, that's uh, a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I bet back in the days when like people had to like remember, do you remember when people had to remember each other's names to like add each other on like MSN Messenger and oh. stuff like that? And like, he's like, yeah, that I've, forgot, was... I've forgotten that person's name. <laughs> yeah, it was back in the original days of Facebook. I've had Facebook for probably going on about 12 years now, maybe. Yeah. So when I was in secondary school, my Facebook name was Giordano Dipino Farino. So whenever I'd meet uh, people on holiday or like on camps and stuff. I try and you try and talk to each other, add each other. No one had smartphones back then. You'd have to wait till you got home. And yeah, I, I don't think I actually met anyone again because no one could write my name. <laughs> yeah. That might've been a blessing in disguise, buddy. Trust me. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool, buddy. So um, the way I kind of like to start these things off actually is just for those who don't know um, Geo exactly what it is you do um, in the world of video production. Could you just give us like a little bit of a, an insight into what the day-to-day Geo is? Yeah. So at the moment I am a, my official title because as okay. an employee, um, employee, I have these, um, it is UK social video producer. So part of that yes. is um, predominantly sourcing uh, viral content be it from agencies um, like Viral Hog, everyone, quite a popular one, News Flare or smaller agencies, um, or even direct to the content creators themselves, um, people who may have just recorded a video of their dog doing something silly like backflips or saying I love you is one of the ones we did the other week, um, and just securing permissions to use their videos and then editing them. Often it could be um, using captions to uh, encapsulate the story, bring out the emotional side of it to hopefully obviously generate views so my company the company can uh, make some money and I can stay employed. (laughs) That sounds amazing then so just to kind of um, just so I understand it correctly it's those kind of videos you see a lot on social media I guess um, and they're generally shorter videos would that be correct like they're five to ten minute videos normally or something around that? I predominantly work in Facebook in the sense of all our videos go out on Facebook. Other people in the company um, are responsible for other platforms such as Instagram, TikTok, and I think they still do YouTube. I'm not too sure about that one. So for Facebook, we have two types of videos. We've got short videos, which are 10, 15 seconds. The little ones that kind of grab your attention early in the mornings. 
Yeah. And then we have the ones which make us money, which have ads, ads on them, which have to be a minimum of three minutes long. Dude, this is such like a, an eye-opening world for me here. Like, I'm so excited to dive into this and like try and figure out this this industry which has been advertising to me all these years <laughs> and find out what's going it's, on. Yeah, once you once you get a peek behind the curtain, you yeah. are changed forever. Amazing, man! I'm, I'm excited to find out how the sausage is made. That's is that that's a term, right? Yeah, that's a that term. is the yeah. term. <laughs> Someone's been watching a lot of Hamilton in lockdown. Uh yes, yes. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah reference, reference. So. Dude, yeah, um, that's amazing. Thank you so much just for like letting us know like a little bit more about about what you do. Let's, do you know what I want to do is kind of like before we kind of dive into like how you found this work, um, I kind of want to like let's time travel back a little bit and sort of talk about you know getting started on your creative journey and um, you know becoming a yeah I know yeah becoming a photographer, make becoming a video producer, like all of that good stuff. Um, could you just tell us like a little bit about sort of um, about how everything kind of came about and like you know. What's the start of this journey, I suppose? Yeah, so um, I've always had a mild interest in photography and art, but I never thought that I was, I'd never defined myself as a creative person. I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint. I could play music, but I could never sing. Um, although I love to sing and not very well, but that's another story. Um, when I went to college, the path I was on was to go and do sciences, um, predominantly marine biology. So I studied, oh, no yeah, so at A-levels I studied uh, biology, physics, maths, and then I went, oh, let me pick a fun one, media studies. Started doing the um, sciences and didn't really enjoy the teachers, the way it was taught, the lessons, whereas the media one, like the teachers really kind of resonated with me. Yeah. And, I throughout, and I found throughout my schooling, the teachers are the ones that basically make the subject. It could be the most boring subject ever, if you have the right teacher, it's the most interesting thing there, there is there is to you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so my media teacher was kind of a big, big stepping stone. Shout out Mr. Jones from St. Charles Catholic <laughs> yeah. Sexual College. Wow, what a shout out. What a shout out. You <laughs> never know, it's, man. It's worth it. Um, <laughs> so uh, our first project was um, just called 10 Photos About You. So it's photos that we can go and take photos that have been taken, um, like going into my old like family photo books and looking at me as a child, me and my family, and kind of starting to like really connect with my roots. Um, and that's when I realized uh, my grandfather actually had a really good big passion for photography. Um, and I then started taking pictures with a DSLR, like not DSLR, with a digital camera we had in the house. It was, a, I think, three megapixels back in the yeah. days when that was a big deal. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. And that's when you had like the 100 and 256 megabyte cards. If you had 256, you were a baller. You had the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to take more than four photos? Whoa, big spender yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I remember those days. Um, dude, that's so cool to hear actually. Um, like my eyes lit up when you mentioned your A-levels actually. So um, my A-levels were similar. So I did physics, I did maths, I did English literature, and I did photography as like the fun subject, you the know, fun the one, one, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something to keep you grounded and keep you sane. Um, and you know, I remember even thinking at the time, like, oh, that would be the easy one. Um, I was really wrong. That I, yeah. It was not the easy one at all, you know? Um, and yeah, I remember the same thing. Like I, I felt something, I'd, I guess I didn't know I had within me at the time. And I, 
you know, once you kind of tickle that creative muscle, it's, you know, it's, it's addictive. And um, yeah, I, I, I really, it's really cool to hear that. And it's really cool to hear it. That's how you kind of got into it as well. Mm. Um, I love the story as well about like the, the 10 photos project. That's really cool. Do you remember like how, how you felt when you first did that? Yeah, I thought it would be really easy. Like I, I knew that we had lots of photo albums. I thought I was just going to literally pick one up, pick the first maybe five photos. And then I was going to go for a walk in London because it was all about like you as your identity as well. Like what, what, like it was almost a, a self portrait, but in the series of 10 photos. Um, and once I started looking through the photos, like the old photos, I really struggled to pick like five that I could really just, just five. I could pick hundreds. Um, mm. My family like are multicultural. So my mom's side of my family is Italian and my mm. dad's side is English. So growing up, I was a product of both worlds. Um, cool. And it was really hard to encapsulate all of that, as well as my personal love of sports and um, the sciences and music in these five photographs. And it really kind of got my creative juices flowing, trying to figure out how can I incorporate that in the photographs I'm going to take how can I incorporate the city of London where I live, where I was born, where I've grown up in my entire life, just in 10 pictures. It was a challenge and it was probably a lot harder than any science paper, maths paper, English paper I've ever done because it was so different. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's, I think you've hit a nail on the head. It's something different and you're, you're now thinking differently and using a different part of your brain, man. I think same it's exactly the same thing with me you know maths and physics it got to the point i'm gonna sound like such a nerd here um <laughs> it got to the point where like it was quite easy you know you just read yeah. the book you, you learn the facts and then you go and then to go into a different subject or into you know into being uh, an artist i guess and being told that there's no right answer and you just have to make a choice based on your own opinions is yeah it's pretty eye-opening um and i think it's an amazing thing to happen to everyone at some you know it happens to everyone at some point in their mm. life it sounds like it happened to us pretty much at the same time but you yeah. know to some people it happens when they're three years old some people when they're 30 um but either way yeah that that's absolutely awesome you go from a very objective worldview to a very subjective worldview where there is yeah. no right answers you said it's very it's very hard to spend 16 years of your life being told there is a right there is a wrong and then it's no it's what do you think what do you feel that's really cool, man. And I, and like you said, like earlier on, like it takes those good teachers to kind of to not to value that, you know, and be like, you know, it's not about the answers. It's about um, how you got to that, how you got to that viewpoint, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. Um, let's go on to the next step, I guess. I'm really excited to find out what happened next. So obviously you've got your free megabit camera. Three megabits camera, megabits, yeah. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> megapixels. All, 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 all the megapixels. I had three. Yeah. um so tell me about what what happened next what kind of what were you kind of drawn towards photography wise yeah so i carried on media studies into a2 and then our first project was to make a short film and this was back in the days where cooperation and collaboration wasn't something i was very good at um but for my 18th birthday my parents got me a dslr the canon 550 very trusty great camera still own it today actually Love it. Dude, I think I had it too. This oh is amazing. <laughs> Twins. Or maybe the four maybe the four fifty. I don't know. It was one of them. Yeah. Mm. Had the pop up flash and all that. Yeah. Oh god. It was it was a workhorse. It was great. Yeah. Um, so I got that and I used that to shoot like 
to go um, and shoot photos because I started getting into the live music scene at the same time in London. Cool. So I was going to gigs three, four, five times a week, taking pictures of musicians and then filming a bit of their live sets and then talking to them afterwards and trying to do like acoustic videos. This is back in the days when SBTV was a big deal and oh, yeah. everyone wants to be them. And there was other great channels like Watch, Watch Listen, Tell. They were a phenomenal channel. Definitely check them out. Um, and I just wanted to like be a part of that. So I started basically doing that. And then at the same time at school, I was at college, I was making a short film and it kind of, I had to, we had to write it, we had to direct it, sound design, all the works. And the big bit that was a draw to me was the editing. I basically spent every free period I had either editing my short film or editing videos that I shot outside of school. And by the end of the time we'd finished and wrapped on our short films and editing, the teachers are asking me to help other people help, like to help them because the teachers weren't editors, but in that six weeks period, I'd spent so many hours. God, I dread to think how many hours I spent in a classroom, not in a lesson, just mm -hmm. on the computers doing editing. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's even like, you know, we're, yeah, we're both pretty, still pretty young, but that is before the times when editing was a quick process by any means. So um, Final Cut yeah, Pro 7. Final Cut Pro 7, I remember that, and the, it was six, I think it was 16 megabit. The renders were so, so painfully slow. Oh God, it hurts to think about it. <laughs> I'm sorry to take you back to that time. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's, it's been a while since I've um, took this trip down memory lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, dude. I, I, I really like that. It's really cool. Um, I was, I'm trying not to like compare too many times, but oh, like, that's great. I, also, great. I also kind of got into photography through music as well so um once again we're twins i love yeah. it um that's cool dude so um one thing i really wanted to ask you i guess is and there might not be one specific time for this but do you kind of remember when we you know when you were making all these videos and when you were teaching everyone and all that do you remember when you kind of something happened in your brain and you kind of decided this is something like i want to make a career out of i want to kind of work i want to do this you know i want to have this as my job did that, was there like a lightning bolt moment or was this like a slow burn type thing? Kind of. Um, so my year to go to university was the first year they put the fees up in this country. And oh, yeah. I didn't really think that it was worth going to university to study some sort of creative thing. I thought you could like, especially having done two years at, at college where I was doing it off my own back, going out and getting the experience. I didn't feel the need to go and very arrogant. I was very, very arrogant back then. Um, I didn't feel the need to just go and sit in a class and spend £9,000 a year to have someone tell me something that I can read on the internet. Um, whether rightly or wrongly, that was what yeah. I thought back then. Um, so, but my parents basically were big believers in me going to university. So in my defiance of them, I just didn't apply to a single university. I didn't fill out the UCAS. I didn't do any of that. And that was basically me just turning around and going, okay, now what? And the media was taking a lot, was picking up. I was doing, I was meeting lots of people. And um, in the summer after I finished college, I was filming a gig with someone at um, Scala in King's Cross. And they asked me if I wanted to be a DIT on their short film. I have no idea what a DIT does <laughs> yeah. or did or stands for. But of course I was taught say yes. And you can figure it out later. So I, um, said yes went on this um film shoot had to ask my friend who went to university what a dit does 
Um, it stands for Digital Image Technician. They're the basic. Yeah, I is totally it? knew that. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, I, I knew you knew that. I, I, I yeah, yeah. No. I'm going to say it. It's fine. Um, of they take the memory cards. They take the footage from the memory cards. They put them to the hard drives, and they basically make them secure to and double back up because if you don't have one of those, you basically don't have any footage. Um, on film shoots, we like you use cine cameras. Normally you get maybe two, three memory cards of 256 gigs, if not more. And obviously you burn through footage quite quickly. So you could be using six, seven, eight cards a day in a 12 hour day. So for two days, that's 16 or so cards. So you need sure. someone to be backing it up. Um, yeah. On that shoot, the assistant director asked me, do you DIT often? Obviously I said yes, because I was a pro DIT by this point. I'd done two days in a short film. And um, basically a week later or so, he called me up to DIT on a uh, commercial for Susan Boyle. She was doing a Christmas album. And obviously I said yes. And that was kind of the first stage. I thought, actually, you know what? I could make this work. It wasn't whether I wanted to or not. It was, it was something I enjoyed. I did really enjoy yeah. data management. I'd done it obviously with my, photo with my photographs and all that stuff and I did really like the order of it and organizing this chaos and making it streamline but um, that was like the first instance I thought actually this is an industry whether it's the job or not it's the industry that I actually see a future in. Like, you know what? I did not expect you to say Susan Boyle when you said like what that oh, would lead yeah. to but um, I absolutely love that that was the case and I, I love um, the amazing thing about the creative industry, whether you're self-employed or whether you're employed by someone. I love what can happen when you say yes to something when you're maybe not quite prepared to do it, uh, you know, and figure it out later on. I think that is a great lesson for anyone to kind of take away is, you know, obviously make sure that you're not going to get anyone in trouble and you're going to look after people, but say yes, man, like say yes to any opportunity which comes your way. Cause um, you know, as long as you're valuing yourself, you never know where it's going to lead. Um, yeah. What a, what a great decision to make, dude. Well done. Yeah. I literally, so the person, the, the assistant director on that shoot who brought me into the Susan Boyle commercial, I think I did three or four shoots as a DIT for him. Um, and at this point I just started working in a pub full time because I needed money. Mm. And my mum basically told me, I said, you better get a job because yeah. we're not having no slackers here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the classic parent. Um, of course. And he turned around and went, um, how would you like to learn to be a producer? And again, I had been on, by this point, I'd been on five shoots, which is nothing. I don't know if you know much about cinema, but normally you start as a runner who's like a general yeah. hands. They make tea, bring boxes here, just do generic things. They're just on set. Um, to basically learning how to be a producer in five shoots is terrifying. And again, just said yes. Because I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, you know what, it doesn't work out. I can go back to being a DIT. I'm good here. I enjoy it. I can make this a career. But yeah, so I became a producer from there, basically. Wow, man, that's absolutely amazing. Um, if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you feel in that moment when um, that first came about and someone asked you, do you want to be a producer? Did you feel, I know how I would feel. I would feel anxious. I would feel like, oh, imposter syndrome. Am I good enough for this? Um, and hopefully I would have done what you did and said yes anyway. But um, do you remember how that felt? Yeah, I, so I was excited. Um, I, I think I was, I was so naive. I didn't have imposter syndrome. I didn't understand the process of the industry yet. I didn't realize that typically 
if you want to become a producer, even at music producer level, you start running for a year, maybe 18 months, and then you become a second AD. You work with the talent, you kind of have a level of responsibility, and then you become an assistant producer and then a producer or production manager and so on. I just didn't, I skipped all this because I didn't realize, and because I had that self-assurance and self-confidence at this point, I, I think that resonated with um, Ben, the person who basically took me on and took me under his wing. And I worked with him for the next three and a half years doing commercials and music videos. That's amazing, man. You've carved out your own path, haven't you? I guess, like, like you say, I guess someone has before in the past, there has been a path and you have to do things a certain way. And yeah, I've spoken to some other video producers like on the show and they've said, you know, most people start off as runners and they have to essentially eat shit for a little bit and, um, you know, pay their dues. But, you know, it, that doesn't mean that that's how what happens to everyone. Um, no. You've certainly something found that, an opportunity. Yeah, something that really resonated with me, one of my friends, um, musician, um, back when like I was probably 19 or so, we were about the same age. She was like looking to go to university and stuff. And um, But she wants to be a musician. She wants to be a songwriter. And at the moment, she is a very successful songwriter living out in LA. Um, but she applied to university as a backup, as a plan B, as a safety net. And I, there was something inside me that didn't like the idea of a safety net. It's, yeah. I, if I don't succeed, then I, I failed either way. Either I go to university, that's my backup plan, and I've actually failed at what I want to do. So not applying to university. This is awful advice, and I'm, I hope my if I <laughs> no. have kids, if I ever have kids, they never listen to this. <laughs> on the case, better be applying for university. But um, <laughs> yeah, like taking that was probably the. Big, the, the, the dumbest I, dumbest decision I've ever done, but also the best of not applying, not yeah. having a safety net. I think that all or nothing attitude. And like you say, um, yeah, maybe not the advice most parents give to their kids, <laughs> for sure. But, no. uh, but that all so or nothing advice, attitude. I would def- I'm never giving that advice to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll make sure to skip this episode. Um, that, all okay. or, that all or nothing attitude, though, mm. I think is um it's it's really inspiring because it it is a risk that you're taking a risk here uh but you know i think sometimes when you do have backup plans and backups of backup plans you're almost convincing yourself that things are going to fail or giving yourself permission to let things fail um you know by getting rid of any kind of alternative there is no option to fail essentially like this has to work this you know this is what you have to do and this is this is how it's going to be successful um uh, on the other side of things with self-employed people sometimes um you know you have your your side income you know you're you're employed and you have like your safety net job whether that's in a bar or wherever i'm not saying don't you know quit that job but sometimes by having that job you almost scare you almost don't go all in because you don't have that fear driving you to go all the way or you know that that safety net um disappears so you know like you have to push yourself as hard as you can um and i can kind of see like similar kind of thing went on with with you as well so i think that's really cool i think it's something that a lot of um full-time creatives especially self-employed ones do have to go through like i've seen it in on yap all the time of people going oh i'm I'm, I'm still employed but i don't know if i'm good enough to go full-time or i oh i'm only doing 10 weddings a year i i don't know if i can afford to and I think it is it is terrifying and I think the older you get obviously the harder it is because you have dependence and stuff on you to maybe children or dogs yes. or houses yeah. or something like that but so it, like my advice of anyone who is in college listening to this is take that leap earlier than later because you could always you can always 
fail and then fall back into something else. But it's it's easier to fail and fall back than it is to regret not doing it the first two. There you go, man. What a cool quote. There's um, I think it's um Gary Vaynerchuk who says something quite similar as well. Um, you know, he talks about what to do in your twenties, and he says, you know, your twenties is the time for fucking up. Your twenties yeah. is your time for making mistakes. And I'm not saying that suddenly when you get to 30, you have to be super mature, but like, you know, when you're young, like this is the time to make mistakes. Um, you know, if you've got family and stuff, they'll help you out. They're not going to let you become homeless. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, obviously I can't speak for everyone. Of course, you know, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but at the same time, you know, if you make a mistake, if a business fails, you start a new one, you try mm. something else. Um, yeah. Dude, we're going off on a tangent a little bit, but like I think we are really sorry, cool but this is this is cool. Yeah, no, it's, doing this, it's yeah. cool stuff, man. It's, it's it's really cool stuff. I I believe in it a lot. So, um, that's awesome, man. Um, okay, dude. So, so you're making music videos. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, did you enjoy that doing the yeah. music video stuff? Like, so as a producer, all your stress is from the mu- the moment that contract gets signed and you've confirmed that this is the job, um, this is what you have to make. You get the treatment and you get the budget and you go fuck, I've got to make this amazing video that's written to cost 20, 30 grand and I've got 10. And you kind of go, oh, I, God, I'm going to have to pull out some favours here. But um, like, but the moment you get on set, it's a normally a 12-hour day, you have nothing to do apart from extinguish fires. It is the nicest thing in the world. Because you have to, if the client comes along, you have to be nice to them and entertain them. But typically... You can sit back and enjoy. It's the time you've done all the work. You've got all the pieces to there to the set, and now the pieces. As long as you, a lot. I find if you micromanage people, they won't do as well. You've hired the the lighting guy because he's the expert at lights. You've hired the cameraman because he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. Let them get on, and enjoy it. Yeah. Am I am I right in thinking that um, a producer is very much like a boss in terms of? It's about picking the right people so that you can trust them to do things. Like, would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, if you if you ask any directors, they would say they're the boss, and okay. I <laughs> one of them. I'll go yes, of course, and then in reality, it's the producer. The director is the head of creative. They come up with all the ideas, but ultimately, money is the get name of the game, and the producer controls the money. If you can't afford it, you can't have it. Simple as. Amazing, man. Amazing. Um, actually, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into that as well, because, um, you know, as for most self-employed people and most small businesses, um, you know, especially the ones me and, you know, um, like photographers and filmmakers, we're normally teams of one. We're normally maybe teams of two. Maybe we've got an editor. Maybe we've got someone who helps us with marketing, but generally it's pretty small. Um, you know, compared to us, you're working in these pretty large teams. And I, and I would imagine that, um, you know, teamwork plays a, massive part in a successful production right um so my question to you i guess is is one like what do you think the definition of a a good team member is and you know <laughs> and and you know what you i suppose what you look for um but also yeah like your experience of i suppose learning that as a skill set i i guess um i don't know if that's a strange question or yeah not. no 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 so um like i said when i did my first short film i was the worst team player and then like, I actually ended up studying film studies, so I had to do another short film, and I would work with no one. So, th- so 19-year-old Gio was a very headstrong and self-confident, and I know better than everyone, and, which I think a lot of 19-year-olds are. Sure. And yeah. if you're not, then you probably definitely are, but you don't realise. Um, to going to B 
being in charge of people who are very much more senior than me. These people have been doing this job, some of them 15, 20 years. And there's me, effectively their boss, telling them what to do or hiring them for jobs and then having to let them get on with it. Because if I micromanage them, they will call me out on that within a heartbeat. And if I lose face at that point, I've lost them. I've lost the respect. So it's all about trust and respect. I think it needs to be a two-way street. For them to trust you, you need to trust them. I'm hiring a sound guy. I can do sound, but I'm hiring a sound guy because that is their remit. Yeah. You're hiring a, when you, do, when you go to a wedding, you're not having your friend James who has a very, he's got the iPhone X, which takes beautiful cam pictures and all that stuff. You're hiring a professional photographer because that is their remit and you trust them and you have to give them that trust by not standing over their shoulders. You can't go, oh, you should frame it like this. Oh, make sure you get a picture of this person because at the end of the day, they know what they're doing. They've done this hundreds of times, thousands even for some of them. And me at the time, I'd done seven, eight shoots when I started out. So learning to trust people was the first thing that I learned and probably learning like when to talk was the other one because I like to talk. So learning not to talk was a very <laughs> hard step for me. That's amazing, man. Um, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like a lot of this is, is about leaving your ego at home when you come on, onto these jobs, right? And it sounds like, yeah, when we're younger, we... I mean, there is some truth in the fact that, you know, the, the, the young professionals, when they come through, especially in the creative industry, do have, um, you know, a new bit of knowledge, which I think yeah. maybe more seasoned people do need to listen to, for sure. I think for that's a really important process of us getting better as an industry. But yeah, leaving your ego at home and knowing who's best for the job, leaving them to do it. Um, I think I've sort of learned the same thing as well. Where, like when I've been working, um, maybe second shooting, I can remember like a couple of times when I've been working with other photographers and I've seen things they've done. And um I remember when I first started off, you kind of have to bite your lip a little bit. And I yeah. was like, oh, why are they doing that? Um, but, you know, you got to trust them. Um, yeah. You picked them for a reason. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's really, really cool, man. I think there's um, a big tendency, like you were saying, in terms of the ego with um, young people, like especially now because of, I think, the idea of university being the only path is kind of dying out. So there's yeah. this whole tendency to not, but basically to brag about what you've done, what you've accomplished, how good you are. It's hard, especially when you're 18, 19, with that mentality, with that being told to you, you have to be self-sufficient. You have to be pushing what you can do and to turn around and go, actually, no, this is a team effort. Each piece of the pie and the puzzle fits together to make the picture. Each piece of the yeah. puzzle fits together to make the picture. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but like, I think that probably is a little bit of a generational thing of, um, you know, social media having an influence on people and it becoming oh, yeah. a bit of a shouting match for sure. Um, yeah. There was, yeah, there, was I... people, there was people who um, started, well, not started, they were very similar ages to me, about the same kind of age, maybe six months between, same kind of relative experience in the industry. And like, it's very hard to not compare yourself to them at all times both yeah, when yeah. they're doing better than you and when you're doing better than them it's really hard to to basically once you can take that mindset out and you can focus on what you're doing and become independent of other people that's when i think you progress a lot faster because you're not worrying about what your competition are doing or whether they, even if they are your competition or whether they're your competition or not you're just worrying about what you're doing and thinking about the next thing to do and okay cool this was a great project i could 
spend two weeks bragging about on social media about how great I was and look at this project and I got it under budget or so on. Or you can just get the next one and then the next one. And then you learn by doing and you get that experience anyway. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison will kill you, dude. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's, and it's hard, dude. Like I think it's, it's really hard. I do it. I do it all the time now. Yeah. I think we all do. I, I look at other photographers who have maybe been in the business like the same amount of time as me, or even people who are the same age as me, which is a ridiculous thing to look at because yeah. you know, everyone's in a different stage of their journey. Um, but yeah, it's a really hard thing to avoid, but it, it's never going to do you any favors. Yeah. Yes. You need a knowledge of the industry and know what other people are doing, but like, um, you know, for me now I'm starting to learn, like I'm almost doing that to know what not to do anyway. Like yeah. you look at what other people are doing and you go, well, that's what, that what works for them. I need to find what works for me. Um, and I think, I think that was a really big turning point for me as well. The other thing, like when you're looking at what other people are doing is more of an etiquette thing. Yeah. So, um, like you're learning how they're acting because they're maybe more senior than you. You're learning how they do things, not because it might be right or wrong, but because there's a certain etiquette, the way you do business, um, great example that I um, picked up was when you are booking someone for a job, you phone them up and then immediately you email them. My, our generation doesn't want to call anyone. I, I can't back again, when I was 19, 20, I would not speak on the phone to anyone. Why yeah. would I? I can text them. Yeah. I can email them. Yeah, yeah. I can WhatsApp them back then even. I can, or I can BB messenger. I can use that Blackberry messenger. Like there were so many ways of nonverbal communication. I didn't need to. But what I learned, again, because of the industry etiquette is phone someone up, very polite, small talk, discuss the job, here's the rate, yes or no, cool, that's confirmed, sweet, phone down. While I'm on the phone with them and they're talking, they could be yapping about what they're doing this weekend. I care in the sense of it's nice to hear, but at the same time, I'm typing out the email to confirm the job, the time, the date, the rate and everything so that the moment that phone goes down, send and then once they confirm back that's it locked in that's amazing man that's amazing it's a good piece of advice for everyone um i think we see this in facebook groups as well like um i think we both see it where someone yeah. goes i've got this issue with his client and you almost want to be like just just phone them like if it's, if it's taking you more than two emails to sort this out just just pick up the phone and phone them. they're not going to be like why are you calling me they're your clients um they'll answer the phone they'll talk to you you know um, i think yeah, it's I crazy think, i think why don't you call them is the biggest fix for probably most issues plaguing yeah. 20 to 26 year olds today. Yeah. I have typed this out in my friendship groups so many times that they've got an issue with someone. Just call them. Just call them. It's probably not even an issue. You're probably big up in your head and you're taking the text out of, like, out of context and, oh, oh, they didn't, they didn't put a full stop here or they did put a full stop here. Just phone them, have a conversation with them. Worst case is you were right. They hate you. All your worst fears are correct, but at least you've got them confirmed now instead of two weeks time when it could get worse and your mental side of it's making a lot bigger and a worse problem. Just deal with it now and then you can move on. Amazing, man. Um, I'm going to take that from, from <laughs> yeah, the, the king of putting out fires. That's, that's really cool, dude. Um, yeah, Tim Ferriss says a really good thing, actually. He says, um, if anything takes more than three emails to sort out, then, then it's a phone call. Like. Yeah because because it takes too much time i don't want to look at my emails also like we, we've all got unlimited calls i remember when i used to pay 5p <laughs> yeah. a minute 10p a minute i used to pay 5 10p a text like are you tr struggling to get it 160 characters now you've got whatsapp which is unlimited because you've got internet or i've got unlimited calls just pick them up even if it's a yeah. two second phone call you go are you sure yes cool done oh i've spent nothing 
There you go, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Wise words. I, um, I feel like a ninety-year-old man sometimes. When I yeah, say these we things. both we we both <laughs> must sound quite old at this point, but that's that's okay. We're young. We're young. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, dude, I want to. I really want to ask you yeah, um, about uh, what you did next in terms of your video production, um, specifically about the the content you make for social media and and marketing. I'm, I find it really fascinating and. I guess very new industry as well. Um, you know, we talked about how there is the etiquette of following what had been done in mm. the past, but um, you were it's... kind of in this when when things are now blowing up, and I and I'm guessing it's happening, it's changing year on year, and it's it's changing yeah. over time. It must be an ever changing industry. It's so interesting. So I did music videos for three and a half years. I started basically, I I was doing the, I had a position or like a title that I didn't really earn, and then like. But I was an assistant producer. I didn't really do the full role over the first year. The second year I did. And the third year I was basically a producer with the title of an assistant producer, which I think is the good way to be. You want to kind of undertitle yourself so that you can okay. always step up as opposed to be there and panic because you don't know. And if you're the top of the ladder, you have to know. Um, where a lot of people, especially young people, want to run before they can walk. There's no, there's no downside to working in the industry for five years. So I did that. And then I want a new challenge. Um, and someone, one of my friends posted on Facebook, actually it wasn't even my friend, just someone I knew. Mm-hmm. I met him maybe for about five minutes at a battle rap event. And um, I was doing photo, behind the scene photos at the time. And he posted that there was a job advertisement going at Unilad where he worked for a video producer. And I went, I, I'm, I'm a video producer. I won't get the job, but just apply. And it was the same mentality that I had get like all the way back when I was 19. It was, I, you know what? I won't get it, but if I don't apply, you don't get it. So, um, yeah, I applied, um, called me for an interview. I met the two head of um, videos at the time, Chris Goodson and Liam Bagnall. Um, the interview ended with us talking about Drake's new album, which is a great sign because we were big, big, uh, uh, big hip hop fans, uh, which is a good vibe. You kind of vibe with that got called sure. in again to have a second interview with the head of the head of London mid interview. Um, they were asking me about my hobbies and interests. And at the time, and I still do, I play, I said, I play Quidditch, which is always a good talking point in uh, interviews and they yeah. don't know how it works and all that malarkey. So I told them and he then brought in one of the uh, production managers um, who basically was the client side of it had a good chat with her and literally left the office, walked around the corner to get the bus, waiting at the bus stop. And they called me to offer me the job about 10 minutes later, if that. That's, that's incredible, man. Um, I really want to dive into it further, but like, I know that anyone who's listening right now is just like, Danny, ask, ask him about, ask him about Quidditch. Uh, so I need, I need to ask you really quickly about that. Um, Dude, yeah, what, yeah, what's going on? You play Quidditch, tell me that. Yeah, I play Quidditch. Uh, this is not the first and probably won't be the last in time I'm being interviewed about this, but yeah. So um, Quidditch, it's a full contact, mixed gendered sport. You start with six aside and then you have a seventh come on. Um, positions are done by headbands. So a keeper is a green headband. Chasers, you have three of them on pitch. White headbands. Beaters, you have two of them on pitch. Black headbands. Um, the broom is a PVC plastic pipe, about one meter in length. Um, the pitch is a rectangle pitch. Your hoops, you can score in front of them or back uh, from the front or the back. There's three of them each side. 
the snitch is uh, the seekers wear a yellow headband the snitch is a tennis ball basically in a sock on the back of a pair of shorts worn by an independent referee called the snitch runner their job is to basically not get caught um, they can push you, they can run around, they can throw you, they can pull your broom out, they can do whatever they want, and you've got to try and catch that. And Amazing. basically, it ends the game and it gives you 30 points. That's, That's the so very cool. quick, I... very quick, brief description of Quidditch. Yeah, there is... but I, I, I love it. I, that was the thing I was going to ask you about, which is, was the snitch, like, how do you do that? But that so it's just a person, basically, and it is yeah. run around. So, uh, in, so a cool. game, in a game, you have a head referee, you have two or three assistant referees, you have a snitch referee and then you have a snitch runner who is an impartial volunteer or referee. They have to take tests as well, who basically there's normally two types. You've got the ones who like to run around as cardio snitches and then people who just like to stand still and fight effectively. It's a bit like judo. They can throw you, they can push you, they can try and pull the broom out and you can't do any of that back. And also they haven't got a broom so they can, it's a lot easier for them. Um, but they also have two people running at them. So it's a lot harder. It's a, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and it's fairly physical. Amazing, man. Uh, I'm, you know, like when when COVID probably dies down a little bit, I might have to ask you to to bring me along on a game. That sounds yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll try there, and be the snitch. Who knows? There is teams up and down this country. There is teams up and down Europe. I think it is played in 36 countries worldwide. There's a World Love Cup it. every few years. There's a European Cup tournaments. There is there's so, so many tournaments. So many damn tournaments. You're blowing my mind, man. I, I, I knew I was going to find out a lot on this episode, but I didn't know it's going to be about Quidditch. <laughs> yeah, you were um, like, oh, video production. Yeah, tip that. Music videos. Yeah, social media. Yeah. Quidditch. Quidditch? Yeah, well, you never know. Um, yeah. Oh, dude, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna bring us back ever so slightly. Yes. Um, I could talk yes. about Quidditch all day, for sure. We could, we might have to do definitely. A episode on that. Definitely. Sounds um, good. But um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about Unilad because yep. you know I know I know Unilad the company. Um, I remember seeing them, and I still do. Like they pop up on your feeds all the time. Yeah. Um, obviously, as a marketing platform, they're they're massive. Um, I, but one of the things I wanted to kind of ask you about was, you went from you know doing video production, I suppose, for music videos, and you had those clients to look at, look for. I I guess Unilad, and correct me if I'm wrong, is such a massive company. Um, that things must have been quite different. And now you're, you're in this, this new world where I suppose there's many more hands on deck and there's, there's many more things you need to think about. Is that, is that the case or was it a bit different? Surprisingly less, if that makes sense. So with music videos, you're, an average crew is maybe 10 to 15. It depends on the video yeah. and sometimes you have specialized roles. And I think the biggest I was on maybe was 80 to 100 people. Um, but for wow. Unilad, because it's social, there's that idea of premium didn't quite exist. So with music videos, you'd have to get them edited by someone else. You'd get them color graded. And so the colors can pop and they look beautiful on TV where for social media, it's just on your phone. No one's watching yeah. videos on a 60, 70 inch TV anymore. No one's watching it on a 4k projector. So a color grade was stick a lot on it. A bit of tweaks, maybe if that, so the grading element was, two minutes so we wouldn't spend a day doing that editing we had in-house editors at Unilad we had in-house camera operators we had in-house equipment so I never had to hire any of those for the most part and when I started there was 13 people in the video team the company maybe had 120 120 people in London and in Manchester and in London we were the commercial arm our job was to there was a sales team who would go out and sell ideas and sell videos and 
clients would come to us and I think the first video I did was for Gillette in my first like three weeks there I did one for Gillette and um, but my job was to same kind of gist it was take the idea which was for the Gillette one it was George North Welsh rugby player and uh, Bayerak and Fenwa who's still playing for uh, Wickham Wanderers now in the championship and they're going head-to-head in a kind of manly test of certain challenges to do with rugby balls. They did like um, a drop goal. We had to try and drop kick it into a paddling pool, um, crossbar challenge, keepy uppies. And the, the talent, those two, were sorted by the client. But my job was to get the crew there, was to find a location. So we found a school in Colchester. Uh, I can't remember what school it was for the life of me, but we found them. They were fine with it, had to hire a car. We drove up there one morning and then drove back down a couple of hours later. A lot quicker on a shoot. And then after that, I didn't have to do with anything. I didn't have to hire a team. I didn't have to deal with clients. It was so much nicer. So my job was prep the shoot, do the shoot, on to the next one. Whereas before it was prep the shoot, do the shoot, do the post, on to the next one. Right. Because the turnarounds could be so much quicker, we, would shoot, we were shooting so much more videos. When I started, yeah, yeah. there was two producers and a junior producer were doing all the videos and the content arm was very, the commercial arm was very small. So we would maybe do two, three a month back then um, each. Um, and when I did music videos, I would normally do probably about the same. The budgets were a lot smaller when I went to Unilad. I think my first one was 5,000 as opposed to music videos where they're 20, 15, 30, some of them. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a, but also because we were spending less on other things, it was, there was no real translation that it wasn't, there was no, Oh, we've got less money. Oh, we can't afford as much, but because we've really bought the cameras, we've really got the in-house editing team. We don't need to spend as much. Um, and then the th- second or third video I did was for three mobile and we had to go out to Australia. No way. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. In my first two months. Yeah. So I started, I think beginning of or end of March, beginning of April and, the last weekend of May, I was on a flight to Australia. Wow. Wow. That's, um, I'm, I'm sure that was like completely unexpected. Like, uh, how did that feel at the time? Like, um, do you remember like when someone yeah. told you while oh, you're going over to Australia, what was that like? Well, it was, it was, I was shocked. I went, why are you letting me go to Australia? I, <laughs> yeah. I had experience organizing shoots abroad. I'd sorted one out for a music video for a guy called Fetty Watt out in New Orleans and had done all the, po- done the organizing, but I didn't go out there. The other guy I worked with, Ben, went out there. But I thought, why are you sending me to Australia? Surely there's a one that's closer. Um, but yeah. it turned out that the other senior producer, um, he was going to New Orleans for, it was a three, it was a three video deal. It was New Orleans. There's Reykjavik and there was uh, Australia. Um, they'll oh. kind of travel influencer videos to show off that Three's new program, Go Rome, works anywhere in the world with the new Samson SA, I think it was at the time. And the senior producer wasn't allowed to go to Australia because he was getting married to an Australian who said, your first time going to Australia had to be our wedding. So yeah, the other producer who was a junior producer, she went to the Iceland shoot, which was three days. New Orleans was, I think, six, seven, and Australia was 10 days. Did you have a good yeah. time? Did you enjoy it? It was incredible. Like, one of the yeah. best experiences in my life. Because of, like, when you're on holiday, obviously you're spending all the money. So you're worrying about, oh, have I got enough? Like, sometimes maybe you're saving more to get a nicer meal out, or maybe you're not, can't afford that nice meal on the last day. But because it was a video shoot, everything was sorted. We were given per, per DMs, which means you get a daily allowance, and you spend that. 
but it's not your money. So if I spent my £50 per diem, I spent my £50 per diem. I don't get it at the end and I don't get to keep it. So I'd have, like, I think we was in a restaurant in the Daintree up in uh, Cape Tribulation and um, right by the Great Barrier Reef. And I think we all had steaks like three nights in a row just because we could. Yeah. It was great. And um, when, you're doing, when you're doing shoots, there's no rest period because rest is a waste of time. Effectively, that sounds really weird. So I remember yeah. one day we woke up at 5 a.m. to do a sunrise time lapse with a 360 camera as well as our cameras doing it. We had the A7S2s at the time. Um, then at 7 a.m. we were in the jungle doing zip lines and like um, swings and tight, all that kind of stuff. And then we had breakfast at nine, which was quite nice because we were starving by this point. And then by about 11, we were on a boat to go to the Great Barrier Reef. That is living the dream. Um... <laughs> It's it's hard to it's hard to enjoy though at the time. That's the thing I that's the thing sure. I'd say. Um, we landed. We'd spent we did a layover in Singapore for six hours. So we walked around Singapore and stuff. Then we landed, had some chips at nine a.m. because that's what you do. You find a place sells chips and you have them at nine a.m. And then we were doing a bungee jump. Well, then I had to do a bungee jump first thing at, like at midday on my yeah. first day there, having not slept for two days. And yeah. it's it's such a it's such a nice, I'm sure and I'm sure very welcome like benefit and of of working in the creative industry and you know we got to create content and you can't, like, not all content can create, be created in the UK so um, yeah I think mean, that's really cool. The best bit was um, it it was an accident on the booking part for the talent. Um, we had a lovely uh, guy called Saunders who now does coverage for um, Formula E, does all their behind the scenes stuff. Um, he was in Alaska beforehand. And because the dates had messed up, he was coming to the UK the day after we was meant to leave. So okay. what we did is we were going to um, Cairns in the north of Australia, and then we were going down to Brisbane. So we said, well, he's going to miss the he's, he's going to miss our flight. So there's no point us waiting for him in Cairns because we were driving up three hours into the middle of nowhere with no signal. So we got him a flight to Brisbane. So actually, he got to Brisbane before we did. So we had the first part of our trip with no with no talent no on screen talent we had no idea how much talent we were going to get in terms of footage content wise once we got to brisbane so we needed people who could emulate the talent and the right. talent happened to have brown hair this is my this is not my natural hair color i've dyed it blonde <laughs> yeah. during lockdown but i had longer hair back then as well so he was a five foot eight ish slim white dude and the only other five foot eight slim white dude was our cameraman so he's not going to do it. So yeah. I ended up um, being the on-screen talent, effectively, for the first lot of shoots. Just like little cutaways, like my hands here, or yeah, yeah. it was a POV shot, or half of it didn't even get used. I don't think, I don't think any of it got used, um, really. But the first thing we did was the bungee jump, and I had to do it. Dude, cool. I love that you stepped in, and it just takes you back to, you know, doing what needs to be done, you know? I think there's a, there's a really cool little recurring theme which keeps popping up here man um that's great it was, ne um, it was never on my bucket list though funnily enough yeah it's never been on my bucket list but it's oh, really it's, yeah i was i was interested in doing the skydive which i got to do later later on that year but i never got never wanted to do a bungee jump but i highly recommend it they're incredible i mean my on my top like on top of my bucket list is great barrier reef so um i'm very jealous for that one um yeah, yeah that's that sounds awesome man 
dude i want i've got a couple more questions i i, I really want to ask you um this this is all amazing stuff um and i'm dying of jealousy by the way <laughs> all of it um also, I'm, so, pa- I'm painting the best picture of it could be some of them were like oh, yeah. i remember i i one day i flew back from a quidditch tournament from slovakia i was in the country for 40 hours landed in heathrow and then got a train down to Salisbury to go and shoot photos, behind the scenes photos for an army shoot. So it's not all glitz and glamour. We went to Kidderminster once. I've been to Slough. I've been, yeah, it's not all Australia. Very few times you go to Australia. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I guess the biggest thing I wanted to ask you about, like the difference between the video production and, and uh social media content and there am i am, am i calling that right or would i call it marketing videos i suppose no, it's um, social media content um yeah I think it's viral videos. because yeah or the other um so there's a difference between viral videos and social media videos um so what i currently do now is i edit and source of viral videos videos that we don't shoot ourselves we, we're not affiliating with a brand but at uniland i was basically creating branded content so we were making adverts oh, yeah. for social media but oh, yeah. a lot of the time because it's social media you can't you can't make it look like an advert. So that was the challenge we had. We had to make things that say at the top of the video, it says Unilad um, sponsored by 3Mobile. Right. We right. have to put the 3Mobile logo on the, on the screen, but we can't, you can't turn around and go, hey, look, 3Mobile now works around the world in <laughs> Australia, um, New Orleans, even, this Iceland, in, even in Iceland. Like that won't sell. People will know yeah. that's an advert. You want yeah. something cool, catchy content. So we had, for this shoot in particular, we was out in, on an island in Australia off the coast of Brisbane called Lady Elliot Island. You are, I think it's about a 90 minute flight from Brisbane to get there. The island is 600 meters long. The runway is 500 meters long. So if he overshoots that, you're going to go for a swim. And they're like, you are in the middle of the ocean, but the phone had signal. So we shot a bit of him of like taking some um, selfies. I think he was on the beach and then posting them on, or like he was texting them back to his mom or posting them on Instagram. And we just filmed like a shot over the shoulder of him on the cap on the phone and just had a voice over the top. So it was very natural integration. Yeah. It's that, it's that storytelling element, isn't it? It's um, mm. the show don't tell, I guess is the thing yeah. which comes up over and over again. Um, that's cool, man. So, um, yeah, I want, I want to ask you about this, this change from the music videos to, to this. And it sounds like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the quality was there, but it sounds like the focus is, is that mindset yeah. shift from um, quality to quantity, I guess, in a way. You know, you're, you're very much getting videos out there. Um, so, yes and no. So we were still um, working to a client. So if three mobile turned around, they went, we don't like this video, we're not paying. Well, we've just spent 12 grand going to Australia where's that money coming from we have yeah, to obviously yeah, yeah. have it somewhere so we're still we, my side of the business uh, the commercial side was still dealing with clients so that was very similar to the music videos the difference was is how people are going to observe the content music videos people go out and actively seek it like you're going to go and find a music video you're going to go and watch the latest drake video because you're a fan of drake but you're not going to go and oh you lad i'm going to see what videos they've uploaded today which brands are they promoting no, yeah. so we had a thing called Stop the Scroll. This is back in 20, God, maybe 2015, no, 2015, 2016, something like that, 2016, 17, around those times. Um, we came up with the idea of black bar memes. So your video, which is a 1080 by 1080, one by one format, square, um, had the 16 by nine video inside with the black bars at the top. And it would say, 
tagame da 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 so when we would come up with ideas ah, right. it was how can we stop the scroll how can we stop someone scrolling past it with a what is the black bar what's the black bar mean why yeah. who who are they tagging we did one for fosters it was tag a mate who tag it was um this guy he got to the pub early and it was his round it was tag a mate whose round is next or something like that and then yeah. the visuals was to try and stop people just mindlessly scrolling as they do with facebook people pull out the phone 15 20 30 times a day yeah and mindlessly look through facebook and they'll put the phone down and then they'll do it again two seconds later as if something new has happened so our job was to when they see it stop them scrolling past yeah that's amazing um mm. i think there's like there's something to be taken there um which i think i might i, I think um, I'm going to pick your brain again at some point yeah, when, I, when I get around to it. Um, Cause I'm, I'm kind of messing around with like Facebook ads and stuff at the moment. And like, um, I've been doing these for like four or five years. Um, but you know, because marketing is now so, so out there in, in, in mm. Facebook and in Instagram, um, it's, it's not enough just to have an ad and assume people are going to see it. You have to yeah. do something which like you say, stops the scroll and stands out and is different. And that takes a lot of, um, I suppose it takes a lot of innovation and it takes a lot of thinking differently and constantly progressing. So that's, that's really cool, man. Um, it's a really nice little insight into like how, how that industry works of grabbing our attention when we've got such a short, um, attention span. Um, The best bit is, is Facebook decides to change their algorithms every six months, give or take. So eventually they turned around and was like text on a video. No, that doesn't do well. We're not going to show that to anyone. So we had to think of a new way to stop the scroll. Um, and it's like we had the five second pre-roll. So we'd get the, best bit of a video and put that in there but we'd have an eye-catching um like screen grab but part most most importantly it's not we sold it based on video views so we promised a client a million views and we'd get the million views because we had the audience but to get the million views you need people to watch it and it's all about knowing who your audience is that's the most important thing about marketing if your audience is people who spend five thousand pound on a wedding they want to see £5,000 worth of quality in a photo. Yeah. Why should they, whether your product is photos or if it's videos, if you're, even if, if you're doing sports videography and you're doing promos for a football team or sports teams, why ha- on your page have you got a picture of a wedding? Are you a yes. wedding photographer? You may be, but that business, that brand you're creating and the audience you are creating for it need consistency i am the worst on my instagram i post whatever i want and i've now decided i don't care anymore forget the likes it's boring we're not playing that game anymore so i post Mm -hmm. what i want to post so i've posted sports behind the scenes and weddings and it doesn't matter but if you are using your social media as a business you need to create an audience and target that audience understand what that audience wants to know what your market marketing is worth targeting to yeah yeah amazing dude like i I couldn't agree more um it's something i mentioned quite often in like coaching sessions like uh especially um with the photography world like it's tempting when we first start out to be like here is everything i do here is my headshots here is my you know nature photos here's my street photography all in one website trying to appeal to everyone at once and you'd you know yeah like you say when you first get started that's a natural response but you're never gonna target the right people people are they're too quick to make their minds up you know they're going to make their minds up in the first couple of seconds three seconds if you're on the phone it's less than a second you know so many people we know who are like photographers who have interests in street or animal or nature or whatever headshot something 
but their wedding photography pages or website or Instagram is wedding photography. Yeah. They may yeah. have taken a beautiful shot of a silhouetted sunset. And I remember I was listening to Gavin's talk about his, uh, it was a girl in the red jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful shot. But if you put that in between a bunch of high pristine, like expensive looking weddings, people won't understand that. The audience will yeah. reject it. And because they reject it in the way that you, they view it, whether it's views on a video or likes on Instagram or comments on Facebook, the algorithm will pick that up and they'll turn around and go, Oh, your audience doesn't like you anymore. Back of the queue for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't really think about Facebook thinking of it that way. That's yeah. Yeah. We need to remember that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's cool that you mentioned Gav cause like he does that really well in terms of, um, yeah. he has his wedding website and he's a street photography. And I think people know he does both. He doesn't hide it, but at the yeah. same time, he's not trying to attract a bride with his, his street photos. Um, mm, yeah. yeah. They may, they may be drawn in via his street photography, but Gavin has his wedding in Instagram because that's what he does professionally full-time. Obviously he said he'd love to do street full-time and that make that career, but which is great. I love his street stuff and he's taken yeah. that style into weddings, which is incredible. But equally, he, even he understands that you have to separate them because it's important yeah. to know your market. Yeah. Yeah, nice man, nice. Um, I might have to leave it on on that point. Yeah. I think that's such a such a nice one to finish <laughs> so we, on. We know your yeah, market. Got, we've gone on for um, a long time as well. I apologise. No, not at all, dude. I could talk all evening for sure. Same. Um, we, we, I'm more than welcome, so happy to come back and go and carry on talking and yeah, delve into nuances so. of viral marketing and making how to make an ad not an ad. God, that was a fun one we did. Oh, dude, I, I think I'm going to have to take you up on that. That sounds really good. Um, thank you so much, dude. Like, it's, no, it's been an amazing chat. I really, really enjoyed it. And like, it, like you say, I, it's what I wanted to get out of it because like, it's such a, an exciting insight into an mm. industry I know nothing about. And I, yeah. you can kind of forget that this world is out there, but, you know, it's, it's massive. It's such a yeah. huge thing, like working for a company in this way as opposed to just trying to slug along by yourself i guess um so yeah it's it's really cool dude um one thing i really like to finish off on um is like some rapid fire questions if that's okay, cool with you yep. and um i call them rapid fire questions uh they're not rapid fire questions <laughs> they're just questions <laughs> um but it's 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 more of like a question and response type thing okay yeah let's go for it cool um so question number one um when you're like not doing video production when you're not doing photography when you're not doing anything i suppose um towards your business i guess in general mm-hmm. um what do you like to do in your spare time apart from quidditch <laughs> uh other sports as well so okay, uh, cool. I, I love to cook too i love i love cooking um during lockdown i bought a slow cooker a pressure cooker i've also bought a rice cooker and a microwave adore cooking love meal preps all that malarkey and i also play flag american football and football so to do sports normally three, four times a week. Nice, man. Amazing. Would you recommend the, uh, the rice cooker? I was thinking about oh, getting God, one. Yes. Like rice in a pan is okay. Microwave rice is awful once you have a rice cooker rice. It's so easy. Honestly, you put it on, you leave it there and you forget about it. And then you go yeah. and cook whatever the accompaniment of the rice is. Today I made a stir fry. So I went and did all the meat, I chopped all the veg while the rice was cooking. The rice cooked in 10 minutes and it pops up and keeps it warm. Bam, nice, fluffy, soft, perfect rice. Done, stir fry, bam. 100% recommend it. Speaking of uh, Facebook videos, have you seen that Facebook video uh, where... Uh, Uncle Roger. um, 
Uncle Roger, yeah, yeah, where he's getting angry at the way the guy, person cooks the rice. I think it's Auntie Herschel, one of my friends, Ray Roberts, actually, I think he's in Yap, um, actually shot the one where they met each other. Oh, no way. Yeah. Amazing. Shout out to Ray Roberts. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, okay, dude, so um, question number two, I guess. Uh, yep. What is like one tool or piece of software or um, just just any kind of gadget or gizmo or just something you use in work, which I suppose might not be in immediately uh, obvious. So I guess not something like Premiere Pro uh, or whatever, um, well, or Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. um, but something you use over time, man, which is something I've which brings you joy or helps you with your work or just makes uh, work more God. fun. Um, probably I quite like, um, I use Dropbox a lot. I used to use Dropbox a lot when I was really on the Instagram game. And it was a great way to put all my photos and I can send the models like a link to the folder so they can download them all. And then I could just access it on my phone. And the other one I use a lot is Later, which is great for scheduling oh, cool. posts on Instagram. I use literally a post today via Later. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I, yeah, I, I don't think I use, I think I've tried Later. I can't remember. Um, does Later do Instagram and Facebook? Like, does it do both? Uh, I, so it might do Facebook if it's a paid version. I just have the free one. Um, if you're using Facebook, there's a thing called Creator Studio, which is the Facebook's... Um, actually, no, I'm going to retract all my answers. The correct answer <laughs> is Facebook's Creator Studio for sound collection. They have hundreds and hundreds of free, copyright-free music with, mus- with, with vocals, no vocals, all types of music, all types of length. That is insanely good. Oh, man. I kind of wish I'd used that before I... Purchase a new <laughs> soundtrack for for the podcast. Uh-oh. Um, it's, oh, oh, cool! It's, it's good, I like the soundtrack for the podcast, so you're doing well. Okay, nice, nice, um, amazing, man. Thank you so much. So, um, next question: um, What is like one book or podcast or workshop or video or just something like that? Would you would you like like to recommend to people? Which is something you often end up telling other people to check out. Do you know what? It's not photography or videography or marketing or anything social media related. It's the Dak Shepherd podcast. It's called Armchair Expert. Yes. Um, he's, he's just a very, if you want to get into video and interviewing people, particularly, he is such a good interviewer. He's very natural, very relatable. He, I listened to the one recently with Leslie Odom Jr. And obviously he's now getting big prestigious clients thanks to obviously lockdown and doing Zoom calls. But he has a style where he takes people's guards down so instantly because he talks about his own lowest points and his low points are very, very low uh, having been a former addict himself. So he can now that their low points are nothing compared to his. And he's openly said it in their, their chat. So they feel really comfortable and it's very, very good insightful way of doing interviews and seeing celebrities and famous people and um, hearing about their lives that you wouldn't normally hear on a podcast. Yeah. No, I love it too. Um, I love that there's no agenda to what he's saying. No, it's yeah. not like he's not like he's trying to get information about a movie or anything like yeah. that out of it, which is what most of us have to deal with. You know, yeah, it's just a chat, which is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah man. Yeah, great. And the one I, re- one I really recommend is his one with Pete Carroll, who's an NFL head coach. That one's a really good one if you want to like learn about being a leader. Okay, man. Yeah, I'll check it out. Nice. Um, Amazing, dude. Uh, so, okay, dude, I've got one more question for you. So um, I've asked, I think I've asked everyone this at some point, but like, let's imagine we can go back in a, in a, in a time machine and we can go on back to, um, to Geo when, you know, you were first, um, I suppose, 
first doing um no i'm gonna forget the acronym um dit dit yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're first doing dit when you're, you're first uh, ditting yeah, that, that's, <laughs> um, a, that's an acceptable term you could be in the industry i thought you would it there Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honoured. Uh, so, like, you can go back to to a young geo um, and give them ten seconds of advice. Um, I suppose this is advice you'd give to someone who else was starting out, I guess. But specifically to you, what, what would you say uh, to your young self? Like, enjoy it. Still, I I, I did enjoy it. I, there was no times I don't think I did enjoy it. But there were times, especially when I was starting out, was just very. I was very stressed. So it'd probably be um, don't stress. Enjoy it more. Things will be fine. Amazing. Amazing. That that's perfect advice. Yeah. Um, I love it. Um, Gio, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, absolutely fascinating stuff. And um, we'll get a beer at some point. Yeah, we'll definitely. play Quidditch. Yeah, um, can't yeah. play Quidditch. <laughs> Amazing, dude. All right. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your evening, and nice. thanks again, man. Nice. Take care. All right. Take care.